Have you had a hard time bridging the gap between snow events for your snow removal and landscape crews? Check out today's interview where I talk with a landscaper who invested in real estate so he could keep his staff employed year round in between snow events doing home repair on his properties. And right now I'm on a horse because we're at his horse ranch and believe it or not, he's never ridden horses until today and he owns this place. So you gotta check out today's interview with Mark Dubois to see how real estate has opened a lot of opportunities, not only for himself, but his people. We weren't getting the leads that I knew we could. We weren't getting the right leads. What started happening is that our, our leads are more qualified. Our sales have probably gone up by about 10 to 15% a year. We're gonna increase our sales volume by a million dollars in a year. Hey everyone, Jack Jostis here and welcome to the Landscaper's Guide. This show is all about helping lawn and landscape contractors grow your business, grow your people and Think of out-of-the-box ideas like this one that I'm gonna share with you today about using real estate. Investing in real estate can not only benefit you, but it can benefit your people. And um, we're on a horse ranch in Grafton, Wisconsin, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you're new to this show, be sure you subscribe at landscapersguide.com so you never miss an episode. Let's get into the interview. All right, folks, so here we are. Are we in Grafton, Wisconsin? We right are in now? Grafton, yes. And sir. Uh, we're in your horse barn. Correct. This is, this is pretty incredible. And Mark, have you ever ridden a horse? I have never been on a horse in my life. So you own, you own this property. You just bought it. These are, these are Jessica's horses. Correct. And you've never ridden one. That is correct. So we have Windy and River. Correct. So are you, how do you feel, Mark, about riding horses for the first time? Uh, I'm scared to death. <laughs> a little nervous. A little nervous, but luckily we have the capable Jessica, yeah. who you've known for like a long time. Yeah. So, for, 40 years. 40 years. So yeah. that's incredible. So, um, well, let's let's do it. Let's ride some horses. Is that cool? That's cool. Let's do it. And just sit down quietly. <laughs> Jack, we got enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, why don't you guys ride a little bit and we'll just ride where? I think this is the, the first, you know, time I've ever ridden a horse with a client, right? Really? This yeah. is the well, new way of, this is the old way of doing business, right? That's right. Coming, we're bringing it back. Some people go on golf courses, we get on horses. That's right. <laughs> All right, Mark, so we, you, you just went horseback riding for the first time. How was it? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. I, I actually, I've only done this a handful of times and I really, I really enjoyed it. It was fun. It was fun. So for, for people watching or listening, uh, tell us a little bit, who are you and what is Quality Landscape and Lawn Care? Yeah, so I'm Mark Dubois, the CEO and founder of Quality Landscape and Lawn Care. I started it right out of college in 1995. So we're entering our 27th season. Uh, we're, we're full service, commercial landscape maintenance, snow removal. Uh, as well as uh, residential landscape design and a little bit of residential lawn care in there as well. That's awesome. So um, we, we, we took a break from going to the SIMA Symposium to come ride horses. And one of the things I wanted to chat with you about was how did you buy this? You know, just tell me a little bit about your, your you own a lot of real estate in the Milwaukee area and it started because of your landscape company and your staff. So tell us a little bit about 
how much real estate do you have and how did you get into it? Probably 13 or 14 years ago, I had uh, two, two foremen, mm -hmm. one, one who was pretty good and one who was really good, like the guy that you want to grow your business with. And he came in and basically put in his two week notice. And, you know, I, so I stopped him and I asked him, you know, do you not like, you don't like me, you don't like the company, you know, why, why are you quitting? And he said, no, I, you're a great boss, I love the company. Um, he goes, I just, I just can't, I can't not work all winter, winter long. And so were you, were you doing snow we were doing time? We were doing snow, not a lot of it. Uh -huh. And, but in Wisconsin, you know, it may not snow for four weeks at a time, three, four weeks. So right. they would get laid off and collect unemployment. And uh, he just couldn't survive on a couple hundred bucks a week or whatever it was in unemployment. And I totally understood that. So I instantly started thinking, <clears throat> how can I bridge this gap? Mm -hmm. You know, and what can, and, you know, what can we do in Wisconsin? You can't, you can't landscape, obviously, when it's 10 degrees outside and four feet of frost in the ground. And I've always been interested in real estate. Uh, I did own a three family from five or six years prior to that. But I realized I wasn't ready to get into real estate at that time. And uh, so I went back to that and started buying single families and mostly duplexes in the city of Milwaukee because quite honestly, that's all I could afford uh -huh. at, at the time. Yeah. And I asked my guys, I said, hey, in between snowstorms, are, are we cool with painting, cleaning and doing tile work? And I have some really talented guys on the landscape side that can you know, fix and design and build anything. So. So we decided let's give that a shot to help bridge that gap and and that's what I did and 14 months later I had 120 units that we purchased and continued to renovate. Okay, so you started your commercial real estate business mainly to keep your landscape crews employed through the winter doing essentially well, home repair on on your rentals. Correct. So so how many properties did you buy initially? And what year was this, roughly? We started buying in 2010, so mm -hmm. during you know the peak of the housing market crash. So I so I bought them at a good good price. Mm -hmm. um, we went from six units to 86 units in 14 months. I would not recommend that pace to anyone mm -hmm. else. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so you went, got up to 86 units, and were you doing the property management for that, or did you hire a property management company? We were doing it all in-house originally, and at about 40 to 50 units, we realized this is a whole nother business. Right. And we, we maxed out at about 130 mm -hmm. doors, mm -hmm. and uh, there, were some, there were some challenges with doing that, and one of the biggest ones was the property management. And after going through six or seven property management companies that were either unethical or incompetent, uh, we then decided to start our own property management company. Wow, okay, and so how many people work at that company? Two, a maintenance man and one girl that does the books in the office and, and myself, I spend about five hours a month in that. Okay, so how many units do you now have? We now have about 50. 50? Yeah. Okay. We, we, we have been selling off the inner city properties, which are harder to manage. And after 10, 12 years, I've kind of had enough of that. Mm -hmm. And we're 
we're 1031 exchanging those into higher end single families that we could scale and they're easier to manage. Um, it, it's more in line with my landscape company. Everything we do for landscape is high end, uh, top notch work and mm -hmm. that didn't fit the model because you couldn't spend the money and do high end work in the city because the tenants didn't care or respect it. So, then, um, yeah. so we're transitioning into higher end single families as well as developing some yeah. other <clears throat> commercial real estate. So for people listening, what's the kind of rough breakdown between landscape and snow? And then how does your, how does your staff? <laughs> <laughs> you can cut all this, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know why, Jess, we, I don't know why we would. <laughs> Jess, why does this horse keep going backwards? So Jessica, what are you doing right now? Putting fly spray on her so she stops moving so she doesn't scare Mark. Oh. All right, so we got some uh, fly repellent. <laughs> Horses are cool again. Tell us a little bit, what's the you know, rough revenue breakdown between snow and landscape? And then talk about you know, how, how you keep your crews engaged all year round. We do about, uh, we'll do about 1.5 million in commercial maintenance. Uh, 85, 90% of that's commercial. There's a little residential mixed in there. We'll do 1.2 million in residential design build, and then a, a million or a little more, a little less, depending on the winter in snow removal. And then what we typically try to do is find two or three single family homes, foreclosures, uh, people that just need to get out, you know, and put in all cash offers to get quick closings. Um, and even now, it's, it's June, if I found a good deal that made sense, I would buy it now and sit on it until my, until my guys are ready in the wintertime. And then uh, my wife goes in and does the design work and figures out what we need to do, uh, depending on the neighborhood and where the house is and all that kind of good stuff. And then, uh, yep, then my guys are still going into, you know, doing, doing whatever, whatever it needs to be from a complete Gut, gut job down to the studs to, you know, maybe just some paint, new flooring and things like that. So how many, how many guys will work on these properties during the winter? And how, what's, your, what's your staff like during spring and summer? So this year we'll have, I think we have 28, uh, 28 people. Uh, so that would be 24 out in the field. And probably between seven to 10 will be working on our real estate. Uh, it's, you know, some of them have zero interest in doing it. They do other stuff and, or they're fine with collecting unemployment, you know, when we're not plowing. Uh, but other guys that want to keep working, uh, those are the guys that have been doing this with me now for several years. Okay, so about a third of your staff yeah. will, will stay on through the winter. So has that been a good retention strategy? Has it worked out like you thought it would? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's been great. Um, you know, it's, uh, and that's the reason why I, that's how I got into it in the first place was I, I had to bridge that gap to keep guys that really, good guys that wanted to keep working, working. It's developed into a whole nother business um, and that's worked out well for me, but yeah, it's been good for retaining guys. It, you know, we're interviewing, that's one of the first questions we get is, well, what do we, what do, we do in the winter? You know, and some guys ask it, Whoa, some guys ask it, um, but
but they don't really want to work in between storms. You know, uh -huh. and, it, and it and the challenge, the biggest challenge, one of the challenges, we don't know how much snow we're going to get. So yeah, I could have homes under contract, need my guys. If we get hammered all winter, we won't have any time to go work on the houses. But so then, do you just sub that out and hire a construction crew, or it it hasn't happened yet? Yeah. Uh, to that extent, we've mm -hmm. we've gotten behind schedule, obviously. Um, I do have a full-time, you know, maintenance guy who's incredible. Uh, so he, he would just work on work on that all summer long if that's what we needed to do. Well, that's awesome that you that you were able to retain your people and then expand your wealth really through real estate, and they both benefit from it. Yeah. Because finding people, if you were just a landlord, to do the work for you, isn't easy right now, anyways. It is not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So anything we can do to offer them, you know, year-round employment is is was the goal. Great. So tell us a little bit um, about your personal life. I, so I, I think one of the things that I enjoyed hearing was that you now work a pretty reasonable amount, and you coach basketball, and you went camping with your family last weekend. Tell us about about that. Yeah, so one, I do not enjoy camping. Um, <laughs> I don't know why people do it. But my wife and children love it, so I, I suck it up twice a year to go camping. Um, yeah, you know, married, I have three kids, 10-year-old daughter, 9-year-old daughter, and 5-year-old son. Uh, both of my daughters are playing basketball, which uh, I've been coaching for the last few years for my older daughter. They're both on the same club team this summer, so that's been a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, you know, I work reasonable hours. I'm, I'm home for dinner, you know, I, just about every single night, you know, if there's a, if there's a big client, the only time they can meet is six o'clock, then there's always exception to the rules, but, uh, I'm home by dinner. I, uh, we don't work weekends. It, it's rare, um, that I'll work on a weekend again, always an exception to the rule, but, um, and yeah, that's that's what we're doing right now. They're getting, they're, they'll be uh, starting volleyball in August, so my wife will be coaching them in volleyball. And we come out here. The kids absolutely love it out here. Jessica's been giving them riding lessons and enjoying the the horse farm here. And uh, we're going for a ride. So I'll see you later. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll see you, Mark. So, how long did it take you to grow your business to the point where you got to enjoy? I don't know, having a more reasonable work-life balance? Uh, years, probably. Like 10 years? I'd say the first the first 10 years, it was insane. Yeah. I mean, 20-hour days, days I never even went to sleep, uh, whatever it took, you know. But I was young, I was single, and I didn't care. I was willing to do whatever it took. Um, I'd say the next five years or so, you know, we really got serious about our knowing our numbers and who do we want to work for, uh, early on, I wanted to be a million-dollar business. That, that was it. Typical. Mm -hmm. Who cares about the bottom line? What's what's the top line? Hey, I own a million-dollar business. Right. And I got there. The problem was it cost me 1.1 million to do the million. And I went, well, this isn't very much fun at all. Um, so then we got serious about, you know, knowing our numbers, and so, you know, doing that for a few years and fine, you know, fine-tuning all of that. And I would say, you know, the last, you know, six, seven, eight years, having the, the right people in the right spots um, has allowed me to have a life and still 
and you know, and we and we're and still make money, you know. Great. Well, and one of the things that I like about quality is that you all have. So one of the things I try and get my clients to create, or rather, just communicate. A lot of times, businesses have something that they're doing really well that actually does make them different from their competition. And for you all, I really believe you know your unique selling position needs to be rooted in a pain and a frustration of your customer. And you all have the noon to noon promise. So, so what is the noon to noon promise, and why do you have it, and how do you how do you manage it? So, the, the noon to noon promise is something I I came up with year, years ago. And one of my fears when I started a company was I was 20 years old, just turning 21. So I didn't think anybody would hire me. So I asked clients that hired me, why did you hire me? And they said, you know, I heard it all the time. I still hear it to this day, which is shocking to me. But you're, you're the only one that called me back in a, in a timely manner. And um, fast forward a few more years, um, you know, doing some sales training. You know, we have a rule, time kills deals. So when somebody calls you, that's what they're thinking about right then and there is whatever mm -hmm. project, whatever service they need. They're not happy with somebody or they want something, a patio, or they're not happy with their lawn service. So the quicker we can get back to them and get in front of them, the, the better it is. You know, I wanted to explain it in a way that I could teach it to staff members, and that's how I came up with the noon to noon promise. And what that is is any client of ours calls us before noon or emails us, they're going to get a response that same day. And if they call us, afternoon uh, or email us afternoon they're going to get a call or an email back by noon the next day the phone call may be just to call them and say we have no idea what's going on but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna look into it yeah but if there's a problem and they call there it's just festering so if you don't call them back for a couple days they're just going to get more and more upset for sure so yeah, that's it's, that's I, how we came up with the new, I, new I love problems. it yeah I, th I think that you know and i i know that your clients really appreciate it i can tell i think really in business in general when you don't have communication yeah yeah, you think the worst is happening, and even when the worst is happening, I think it's it's good to know. Yeah, we don't know what's going on, but we're looking into it, like you said. Right. Or here's what we are doing. Or hey, we hear your concern. We appreciate it. Yep. So I like that, and I like that it's measurable. And then you have a system with your software to to manage it. Yep. I'm curious. Without naming names, have you ever had people who maybe didn't care about the noon to noon promise? Oh yes, they don't work here anymore. Yeah. yeah, we are, we are, it's a core value now. It's not just something that for a while it was just kind of a guarantee, a service guarantee that we said. Now we've renamed it as one of our core values. It's probably our one of our most important core values when it relates to our our clients. But yeah, you can't, you can't work here if you're going to just, you know, blow off the customer and communication. I love it. So you're, you know, we went out for dinner with a bunch of um, landscape and snow contractors, some of my clients, some, some people that I just know from SIMA, and you're a pretty transparent, open book guy, you yeah. know, even at the dinner and then even on the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about the profit sharing that you do at your company and what are, what are maybe well, some of the pros and, and cons of, of offering that? Yeah, so I've always wanted to reward my team, you know, for uh, being efficient, and and it's it's a hard job, you know. Everything we, there's nothing easy about what these guys are doing day mm -hmm. in and day out, and you know they may have the mindset or they did have the mindset, hey, I'm getting paid hourly, so there's nothing extra in it for me, 
if I mm -hmm. go a little bit quicker. And so we've brought our team in to go over some of the, we've brought in consultants where we've looked at the financials with, you know, with the guy who's mowing lawn, you know, or the guy who's only been here for six months, who's on mm -hmm. a string trimmer still. And we've always, I've always said, hey, if we're profitable, you know, the first five, seven percent has to go back into the company. New equipment, reinvesting, anything after that, I'm going to share with the entire team. And the guys who bring the most value and look at those types of things get the bigger bonuses. So we do an end of year. Last year we did a big Christmas uh, Christmas dinner right after the, we did it right after the new year because Christmas time is always so busy. Mm -hmm. We invited all, all spouses and kids, so we had 75 people there. Um, and we handed out some awards and some raffles, and then everyone got their you know year year end bonus. So, and that's been that's been a great thing. Tell me a little bit about this horse property. Why do you you know? So this is your this is your literally your first time riding a horse in your life. Correct. Right. Yes, it is. <laughs> You're doing a podcast interview. I know. So that's pretty good. So what? Why do you? <laughs> How did that happen? Tell how me, did like, that what's happen? going on? That, how did this happen? It's it's kind of a crazy story. Um, so just across the street right there is is my business. You know, is my main my my main shop, and we have completely outgrown that space, and so we we needed we need more room, and the previous owner. Uh, who's also named Jack, uh, who owned this property, came to me a few, a few years ago now and said, hey, we're thinking of relocating to um, Tennessee. This property became available and I needed a little more storage. So I was not looking for a 64 acre horse farm with at the time, I think we had nine horses on it. <laughs> uh, I've never, like I said, I've never been on a horse. I knew nothing about horses and didn't really think it was gonna be possible, but I love the location. Uh, the very next day, my best friend's little sister calls me up and she's been working for Jack, the previous owner, doing horse training and lessons. And she wanted to, you know, take over that business from Jack uh, and obviously would need this facility. So it was, a, it was an unbelievable opportunity for her to do what she's always dreamed of doing full time. And that still wasn't enough for me initially to make this kind of an investment, uh, but it was enough for us to sit down and me and Jess had coffee multiple times. And the more I sat with her, the more I realized, okay, she really knows what she's doing with the horses and I could help her with, you know, with the business side of things. We had the facility uh, where we're, we use a little bit of the Quonset hut, but as she's grown her business, she's going to be kicking me out of there. So there's plenty of room to build another building. So that's what we're going to do hopefully this fall. And it solves the problem that I have for my landscape company, which was my number one priority. So we can put up another building, uh, just leases the land. You know, there's two houses on the property that I collect rent from. Um, so even though it was a much bigger investment, uh, it's, it was really a no brainer and it's, <clears throat> you know, we're coming up on our one year anniversary and it's been a win-win. Cool. Well, Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show for people who want to connect with you and, and, uh, network with you. What's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So if they want to connect with me there, that's probably the, the best way and the easiest way to find me and, uh, happy to help anybody. Excellent. Yeah. So Mark Dubois, I'll put your, your LinkedIn and name and everything in the show notes. And, uh, thanks so much for checking out the landscaper's guide. 
All right, everyone, thanks so much for checking out today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I've never done a podcast from a horse, but it was a pretty special experience because, hey, we're in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the area of Milwaukee. I went to college at Marquette University. It's amazing to be back here. We were at the uh, the Saima Snow Symposium. It was the 25th symposium, and I recorded my talk, Attract and Sell Your Hell Yes Customers. So if you do landscaping and snow removal and you'd like to get a copy of that recording, uh, just send me an evil, uh, and not an evil, send me an email, <laughs> symposium recording to jack at ramblinjackson.com. Just say symposium recording, send me an email, jack at ramblinjackson.com, and I'll send you a recording. All right, everyone, my name is Jack Jostis, and it's been fun talking with you, and I look forward to seeing you next week on The Landscaper's Guide. Whoa, Jack, she's coming right at you. I don't know how to control her. Ha, ha, ha.